recorded live.
more and more and more and more people all across the world are ordering copies of it, which is a very good thing. But our finances are very limited. The funding is very limited. And so the waiting list is very long. But you can get a free download of it immediately. You can download it immediately onto your computer or onto your phone. Carry it with you on your cell phone if you have a smartphone, as well as your laptop at home or your computer at home. And you can order a paperback copy of it that if you don't want to wait a year or two years for it, you can order a copy and pay for it yourself. And the only thing you have to pay is for the actual cost of actually printing the Bible and the shipment. We don't make any profit from it. And so that would be like around $22 or something, and it comes in three volumes. So it's not very expensive. We're not trying to make any money from it. But if you can't wait a year or two years, which, to be honest with you, we should not wait that long. I don't think it would be very difficult for hardly anyone to come up with around $22, $25, whatever it is, for the wholesale price. And all you have to do to get it for the wholesale price is use 49% off coupon, which is listed on the website to use so that you can get it at the actual cost of actual printing, actual Branding costs and shipping costs where we don't make any profit. We're not trying to make any money. God knows that we're not trying to make any money on this. We're trying just to deliver the accuracy of the Bible to the people. Uh, but I also encourage you to not, not order a copy until like two weeks from now because unless you're going to wait for the free one, then you can do that immediately. But the reason I say wait a couple more weeks before you actually pay for a copy is I'm constantly updating it, perfecting it on a constant basis, almost daily, that we continue to study the agent languages and the agent manuscripts, continuing to get revelations from the Lord, continuing to edit it, improve it, update it. And so it's constantly, constantly being improved, and which is a good thing, not a bad thing. And everybody that gets a copy uh, in paperback, every shipment is updated from the previous month. So in a way, it's a good thing that some people won't get it for another four months, six months, or a year, because the later it is that you receive it, the more updated and the more accurate that it will be. But at the same time, we've got to get it into the hands of the people as quickly as possible so that they can be reading this translation, which is much more accurate than King James Version, because King James Version leaves out many many words, many verses, many chapters, many books of the Bible. And if you don't believe me, just look at the ministry website and the Bible website. It gives you the proof. Gives you the proof. And the more that we read, 
from the Alpha and Omega Bible, the more that we are going to see these words, these verses, these chapters, and these books that have been left out of modern translations such as the King James. King James is a modern translation. Only 400 years in the scriptures have been around for thousands of years. King James is a modern Catholic Freemason Bible. Even the Catholics admit that it is a Catholic Bible. So people don't want to believe the truth, but uh, speak the truth whether they want it or not. If you're listening to this program, it is because Jesus has led you here and because you are seeking the truth. And I'm not going to water down the truth. And so you either accept it or you don't. So I just wanted to give a brief introduction to what's going on right now with the Alpha and Omega Bible. Now, in case you have not had opportunity yet to read the newsletter that I just sent out only, only a few minutes ago, today's newsletter, very short, and has only one topic, and that is the hurricane. Hurricane Joseph and Hurricane Mary and Hurricane Lee. Amen. I've been talking about Hurricane, Hurricane Mary recently. I've been talking about Hurricane Mary, how she is a prophetic symbolism of the birthing of the Great Tribulation. But now it's been revealed about Hurricane Joseph. Amen. Did you know that there was Hurricane Joseph and Hurricane Mary out there? They are. They are. And then there's Hurricane Lee right now, tropical storm, but about to be a hurricane again. Hurricane Lee was actually dead. It was declared dead. It died. And then it came back to life. It was resurrected. Tropical, tropical Storm Lee, Hurricane Lee, has been resurrected from the dead. It was officially declared dead and resurrected by the National Hurricane Center. So, of course, Hurricane Lee represents Jesus, but actually... The false Jesus, actually the Antichrist, the son of perdition. And so all of this represents, as you can read in the newsletter after the services, that it represents a birthing of the great tribulation coming forth soon, probably in the year 2018. And yet today is the ominous day of September 28th. You got thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people all across the world saying the world's going to end today, or the rapture is going to happen today, or today will be the beginning of the Great Tribulation, or today will be the uh, appearance of the Antichrist, or all these different things, or that nebula planet X is going to hit the earth today, or all these different ridiculous, insane. Ignorant prophecies. And here we are at past 2 o'clock in the afternoon and nothing has happened. Amen. And won't happen today. Cannot happen today. 
because if today was important in the prophetic timeline, Jesus would reveal it to his, to, to his true servants rather than revealing it to all these fools out there who do not know any true doctrine, who are constantly, constantly, constantly posting dates for the rapture, the coming of Jesus and the beginning of the Great Tribulation on a monthly basis. And yet none of their prophecies ever come true or ever have come true or ever will come true but yet they still have millions of followers across the world. It's absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Amen. But it is what it is. And we praise Jesus that he has given us true prophecies, true revelation, and true understanding. Amen. Let's move on to today's topic. Today is the third day of the seventh month in God's calendar. Third day of the seventh month. So we're fast approaching the Day of Atonement. Day of Atonement is next, next seventh day, a week from today, when people will be fasting. Hopefully repenting. Not hopefully not just going through the motions of fasting. Amen. Hopefully not just going through the motions, but actually truly humbling themselves, truly examining themselves, examining their lives, examining their minds and their hearts, examining their faith. Amen. Amen. And then soon, very, very soon after that, the fiesta of tabernacles. Amen. A time for camping, a time for sitting around the campfire and and uh, fellowshipping and, and listening to the special sermons during the fiesta of tabernacles and, and thinking about all eight days of that time, thinking about how our bodies and our earthly home and our earthly friends and our earthly merchandise are all very, very fragile and temporary. And how that our true home and true life will be in paradise when there will be no more death and no more crying, no more pain and no more sickness and no more deception. And that's a wonderful time to think about and we should think about it more often. But we've got to get there. We've got to get to eternity, we've got to get into the new heaven, new earth, paradise. That is our goal. And to get there, we have to deal with sin. We have to crucify sin. And so today, we're talking about the consequences of sin. Consequences of sin is today's topic. In Romans 6, starting in verse 14, in the Alpha and Omega Bible, that you're welcome to try, to try to follow along in the New American Standard, King James, or any translation as far as trying to follow along. Since you may not, you might not have a copy of the Alpha Mega Bible. In Romans 6, verse 14, 
for sin shall not be master over you. Amen. Sin should not be master over you at all. Amen. But you are not under law, but under grace. And the traditional Babylonian Assyrian church has taught us that what that means is that there is no law. But that's not what it says. And if you say that there is no law, but then you are free to commit adultery and murder and stealing and breaking all the commandments of God, if there is no law, that's not what it means. The Greek word for the word under in that verse means covering or insurance or protection. It is saying that we are not protected by the law, that law is not our covering, that law is not our insurance, but rather the blood of Jesus. His grace, his mercy upon us that he died for our sins that is our insurance. That is our protection. That is our hope. That is our faith. That is our covering. That we're not protected by thou shall not and thou shall not. We're commanded to do things. We're commanded not to do things. But that is not our insurance. That is not our covering. That is what that means. But rather, but rather that grace is our covering and our insurance policy. Verse 15, what then? Shall we sin? Shall we sin? Shall we? Well, that's what the Protestant church says. That's what the Catholic church says as well, is that we can sin. We can and should break the law of God because the law of God is of no effect to us, says the Baptist church and the Pentecostal church and the Catholic church and all these other isms. Shall we sin? No. What is sin? What is the definition of sin? The Bible itself defines sin as breaking God's law. Should we break God's law? Shall we sin? Because that we are not covered by insurance of law, but rather that we are covered by insurance of the blood of Christ by grace? No. May it Never be. May it never be. But the Protestants and the Catholic Church said, yes, it is. But the Bible says, no. No. Amen. Verse 16. Do you not know that when you present yourself to someone as a slave for obedience, that you are a slave of the one whom you obey? Either a sin resulting in death, or of obedience resulting in righteousness. Should we become saints of righteousness? Revelation 19 says that at the marriage supper that we are given white robes, which is our righteous acts, our righteous deeds, our righteous works, our righteousness, that we're given white robes, not robes of filthy rags, but white, clean, fine linen. The Bible says. 
So you've got to stop using excuses. Amen. You've got to stop saying. You've got to stop saying that your righteousness is as filthy rags. You've got to stop saying that. It was said one time in the Bible as a way of that man humbling himself. But it's not meant for us to continue to repeat that constantly as an excuse for sin. My righteousness is as filthy rags. You need to be whipped. If you are that filthy, if you're wearing filthy robes, you deserve death. And if you are not worthy, then die! Go ahead. Die. Go to the lake of fire. Burn up and die if you are not worthy. But the Bible says that we are to pray that we are found worthy. The Bible says we are to pray that we are found worthy. But we have got to stop making excuses, saying, I'm only human, I am a sinner, my righteousness has filthy rags, and I'm not worthy. These words, these words irritate the Spirit of God. Amen. It says here that the consequences of sin is death. Verse 16, either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. These are the consequences. Consequences of sin is death. Two deaths. The first death that we all suffer through Adam because of sin. And the second death through Satan, that Satan has led us to eternal death, be destroyed, perish in the lake of fire because we obeyed the devil. Everybody obeys somebody. You either obey the true God, Jesus Christ, or you obey Satan. Which one? Which one are you obeying every seventh day? Which one are you obeying last night, yesterday, last week? Which one will you obey today, tonight, tomorrow, next year? If you obey sin, the consequences is death. Sickness and death in this life, a short life in this life. The Bible says that that we are to obey God, keep his commandments, that our days may be long, that we may live longer. And we're going to read some more verses that talk about 
death and sickness in this life as a consequence of sin, not only the death to come at the lake of fire, but even sickness and death in this life as well as a consequence of sin. But the consequence of obedience is righteousness. Amen. And so then verse 17, that thanks be to Theos, the Alpha and Omega, that brought you, that though that you were slaves of sin, you became obedient. We were all slaves of sin, but we are becoming obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed in this ministry. Verse 18, and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Are you a slave of righteousness? You should be. Paul called himself a bondservant, a slave to Jesus Christ, a free-willed slave, a slave that is set free but remains of by love of a free heart of voluntary servitude, saying, I will not leave your side. Amen. I will not leave your side. A servant that chooses not to leave, but loves our master, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Some religious people don't like calling Jesus master. It might sound to them as uh, witchcraft or paganism or something, but there's nothing wrong with calling Jesus Master. Even the word Lord, which does refer to Jesus Christ, it does call him Lord, it does say he is Lord, means Master. In other words, where it says Lord in the New Testament could be translated Master or Sir or Ruler. Nothing wrong with calling Jesus master. He is our master. And we are his slaves. But free will slaves. Choosing to serve him. Choosing to obey him. Amen. So it says in verse 17, But thanks be to Theos, that though that you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching which you were committed. Verse 18, And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Verse 19, I am speaking in human terms because of, of masters and slaves because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members, your body, as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in lawlessness, so now present your body, your members, as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification, resulting in becoming saints resulting in becoming holy. Verse 20, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? We're ashamed of our past, of our past sins. We had no such benefit from our sins other than death and sickness and misery. For the outcome of those things is death, consequences of sin, is death 
and misery. Verse 22, but, but now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to Theos, you derive your benefit, you receive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and outcome, the consequences of righteousness, eternal life. All of this is summed up in verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. Life forever in fire? No. Death. 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 That is the consequence of breaking the commandments of God. That is the consequences of stealing of bearing a false witness, of committing adultery, of having idols, idols engraven images of angels and false gods. That is the consequence of having another god of Buddhism, Hinduism, or Islam. That is the consequences of having a false god called the Catholic Church, Baptist Church, Pentecostal Church, the Greek Orthodox Church. Yes. Amen. But the blessing, this is, Blessing versus cursings, as it's, as it's listed in, the, in uh, Deuteronomy 11, which we'll read here in a few minutes, Deuteronomy 28, which we'll read here in a few minutes. Blessings versus curses. People have curses upon themselves. The wages of sin is death, but the blessing of spiritual empowerment from Theos is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Master, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Eternal life in hell is impossible because eternal life comes only through Jesus Christ. But death is the consequence of sin not eternal life. One or the other, you can't have both. Which is it? Which is it? Are you going to believe the Catholic Church, the Baptist and Pentecostal Church, and the Greek Orthodox Church, that you're going to live forever and ever and ever, and you'll never die as a consequence of sin? That is the same lie that the serpent told in the Garden of Eden, that you can sin and you'll never die. And yet people are still believing the lie of the serpent that you can sin and never die. That's, that death is not the consequence of your actions of sin. What a horrible lie. To the devil wants you to think that you can sin and live forever and ever and ever and that God is a God of torment and hatred, and that God is going to see you and hear you, his sons, his daughters, his creation, that God is going to see you or your mom or your dad or your son or your daughter or your brother or your sister or your nephew or your niece or your uncle or your aunt screaming in agony a billion times worse than a toothache forever and ever and ever without end ever 
That is not a God that I serve. That is not the God I serve. God of torment. I serve a God of justice and mercy that will wipe away all tears, all pain upon the entire earth both above the earth and under the earth and in the earth and upon the earth, no pain, no crying, no screaming after they are dead and gone, annihilated out of existence as if they never existed before. The book of Psalms, chapter 37, says that they shall pursue away into smoke and be no more. They won't exist. They will be annihilated. They shall be ashes under the soles of your feet, Malachi 4 says. The scripture is very clear on that. Amen. So now let's go to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11 and learn more about the consequences of sin. And this is very appropriate to be reading as we are one week away from the Day of Atonement. For the purpose of this sermon is to help you examine yourself for the Day of Atonement over the next seven days. One Corinthians eleven, verse twenty-seven, in the black and white copy is page one seventy-four. Page one seventy-four in the black and white copy, color copy might be. A few pages different. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. One Corinthians 11, verse 27, and the context is talking about Passover. Passover day. And even though it's talking about Passover, Passover and the Day of Atonement are both dealing with the blood of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, the atonement for your sins. And at both times of the year, at Passover in the spring and for the Day of Atonement, in the autumn of the year, dealing with, dealing with the seasons of the northern hemisphere, dealing with the seasons that occur in Jerusalem. At both times of year, these are opportunities to judge yourself, to examine yourself. And so we can read this, even dealing with the Day of Atonement, about judging ourselves, examining ourselves, humbling ourselves, and fasting. And the context, as I said, is Passover that preparing yourself and judging yourself to see whether or not you should take that communion. Now, a lot of the traditional church of Baptists and Pentecostals, they, they run an ad in the newspaper and welcome everybody in town to come and take communion, even people that don't usually come to their services, even people that's never been baptized, people that's not repented, the lost people, and that's not the way it should be done. 
Now, this is one thing the Catholic Church does have right. Even though the Catholic Church has many, 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 many false doctrines, this is one thing the Catholic Church does have right in that they forbid communion for people outside the church. They do have that right, except for the fact that they are not the church. (laughs) So really, they should be forbidding even their own church members because they are not the church of Jesus Christ. And of course, they also have wrong that they think that the wine and the bread is literally, literally the body and blood of Jesus Christ, and that's just ridiculous. So they have that wrong as well. But they do have right that lost people and people who have not been baptized and people who are not members of the church of God, that they should not take communion. They have that right because the consequences of taking communion, if you are not truly saved, according to what these verses are about to say right here, is sickness and death. You can actually get sick, and people have gotten sick, and some people have actually died because they took communion. But they were still sinners, and they were still living a lifestyle of sin, and they were not baptized, and they were not saved, and they took of this holy... It's like when the Ark of the Covenant fell off the wagon, and the man reached out to touch the Ark of the Covenant to prevent it from falling off the wagon. He meant right. He had the right heart. He had the right mind. He had the right intent. He was trying to only help. He was only trying to protect the Ark of the Covenant. But it was against God's law. Even under those circumstances, it was against God's law and against the will of God for that man who had not cleansed himself to touch the Ark of the Covenant. You are not to touch the communion cup. You are not to take the communion unless you are cleansed already by the blood of Jesus Christ through baptism and repentance. So let's read this here in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Master, of the Lord, in an unworthy manner, shall be guilty of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, of the Lord. That means you killed Jesus. Not the Jews, but you did. Regardless of your race, color, and language, and tribe, you crucified Jesus. Amen. Now, in one sense, unworthy manner is talking about coming into the house of God, the meeting place, the church, already drunk in the context of previous verses. People were coming into the congregation, into the house of God, into the synagogue, drunk and taking communion. People were doing that. If you just read this whole chapter, or they were, or they were. Some of them may not have been coming into the house drunk, but they were drunk by the time they left. And so they was treating the holy wine, which represented the blood of Jesus, treating it like Kool Aid. 
or like going to the bar. And they were not treating it with holiness. So that's one sense it's talking about. But if you keep reading, it's also talking about not examining yourself ahead of time. And so verse 28, but a person must examine himself. And in so doing, he does eat of the bread and the cup. In so doing, meaning this is the way that you should take communion. You shouldn't just you shouldn't just take communion on Passover. Any old time of the year, you shouldn't take communion lightly. But people take it every week, once a week, three times a year, four times a year, and they do so as if they're just going to a dinner party or as if it's just another day. But we are not to treat the blood and body of Jesus Christ lightly, even though this is only symbolism. But we should not treat it lightly. In verse 29, but he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, judgment, chastisement, punishment, judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. That body means three things. Judging yourself, treating the bread and wine with respect and honor and reverence, and judging who you're taking communion with. Those three things, judging your own body, your own self, your own mannerisms, your own mind, your own heart, your own life, treating the communion, representing the body of Christ, treating the communion, the bread and the wine with reverence, with fear of the Lord, and judging the body of Christ, the congregation, and the pastor with which you are taking communion with. You should judge all three of those bodies. Because if you are taking communion with the Catholic Church, you are taking communion with the devil. So you should judge the body, the congregation, and the pastor with which that you take communion with. So we are all members of one another. And it's just like sex, that you have sex with someone, your spirit, your soul is combined with that person. When you take communion, your soul, your spirit is getting combined, united in that congregation. Do you really think that you can sit week after week after week with a congregation and not be influenced by spirits, by those people, their mentality, their way of thinking, their way of talking, their way of acting? Bad company corrupts manners. If you hang out with the wrong crowd, you will become part of the wrong crowd. You become just like them. But if you hang out with people of holiness, then also you shall, should, adopt some of their way of thinking, some of their way of mannerisms, so forth. We take in communion with one another, for we are all members of one another, and we are all becoming one, one mind, one accord. 
even as a husband and wife, becomes one because they live together, watch the same things, listen to the same things. They become one. So judge the body. Verse 30, for this reason, many, not just a few, but many people, many among you are weak and sick, and a number of people even are asleep. They are dead. Because they took the communion with fake Christians. They went to the wrong congregation, the wrong church, the wrong denomination. And they drank the poison of that congregation. And so they are asleep or sick or dead. And they did not examine themselves. They did not treat it with reverence and with fear. And they treated it as if a normal daily dose of Kool-Aid. Verse 31. For if we had judged ourselves rightly, ourselves, us, our people, our congregation, if we had judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged by God. In other words, we would not have to receive punishment. For if we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the Lord, meaning that God does chastise us, he does try to correct us, he does try to realign us, get us back on the right steps. Verse 33, so then, my brother, when you come together to eat, wait for one another because these people were treating it like a buffet. And it was not waiting for everybody to come together. So, consequence of sin, sickness, and death. Not only eternal death in the lake of fire, but even in this life, getting sick and dying and being polluted and defiled by sin, by not revering the Lord, by not fearing the Lord, and by not judging ourselves carefully enough. Now, let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, a few pages to the right. Page 222, Hebrews 10, verse 26, which is over on the next page, 223, Hebrews 10, verse 26, for if we go on sinning, if we continue sinning willfully, after having accepted the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. As I've said over and over and over and over again, this is solid proof against the once saved, always saved Baptist church doctrine. If you continue sinning, now a lot of people say, well, I'm not sinning willfully, I'm just sinning accidentally. But if you really, really, really carefully, sincerely, and deeply examine yourself, every sin is a choice. It might be a snap of the finger choice, but it's a choice. Amen. 
and you may have many, many, many excuses, and they might be good excuses, but you still made a choice. Even as God showed me a book yesterday, the title of the book was something like, Yes, Father, I've sinned, or Yes, I've sinned, or I have sinned. What was his name? Yes, I Yes, I have sinned, but I have excellent excuses. And that stuck with me throughout the evening and today that people say that. And I had somebody tell me that in email, I think just yesterday or the day before, in different words, not those exact words, but that's exactly what they were saying. That is what they were saying. Yes, I sinned, but I have good excuses. And that's what people do all the time. Oh, it was the way my parents raised me. It was what dad did. It's what mom did. It's what my brother did. I always want to point the finger at someone else. Or it's what I need. I have to do this. I have to do this. I have to do this. You know, no. You don't have to sin. All you have to do is make the right choice. God always makes a way of escape. The Bible tells us, the Holy Scriptures tell us that he always, 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 always makes a way of escape. We chose to say, yes, I obey you, Satan. That's what we chose to do when we made that decision to sin. Is there ever, ever an excuse for that? No. We should not obey Satan. We should not say that. We should not say those words. But that's exactly what we're doing when we make the choice to sin. So if you continue to do this, if you continue to do this, you continue to make the excuses. I'm only human. You continue to make the excuses. There remains no longer a sacrifice for your sins. You cannot say, you cannot say, I said a prayer 10 years ago or I got sprinkled 20 years ago. It don't matter what you did 20 years ago. It don't matter what you did a month ago if you continue to sin against God. Now, I do know that we all make mistakes, and I know that it's a process that it takes time to get all of the leavening out of you. It is a process. We learn that in the seven days of unleavened bread that come immediately after Passover day. Passover day, we take the communion. We, we accept the blood and body of Jesus Christ. We become part of the body of Christ. We accept that. We believe that. We live that. But then the next seven days, we're learning the lesson that it takes time to get all the leavening out of our lives. And there will be some hidden leaven that we forgot about We'll discover a, a, a cracker somewhere is hidden in a cabinet or something uh, 
in the cupboard that has an ingredient of levity that we didn't realize, and we learn that, yeah, it, it is a process, and it does take time, but the clock is ticking. And as the clock continues to tick, talk, tick, talk, tick, talk, and, and day and week and month and year passes by, shouldn't we become even more and more serious about digging deeper into our lives, our cupboards, our closets, our basements, our attics, our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, our doctrines, our way of actions, our way of speech, our way of thinking, to get all of the leavening out and not use excuses. Amen. So the consequences of sin in this verse is a loss of your salvation. That yes, you can die in the lake of fog if you keep on sinning. You can lose your salvation and you can die even if you did pray, even if you did get baptized, even if you did keep the seventh day, even if you did believe everything that I said, and even if you obeyed all my commands and all my requests and everything I said and everything I told you to do, but you still have a heart of sin or mind of sin by the time the great white throne judgment comes. Thankfully, there are two resurrections, even though they're never taught by traditional churches. But thankfully, God, his plan of salvation is much more great and wonderful and perfect than what the traditional churches teach. And we do have until the great white throne judgment. But, but, there is much, much reason to try to make it in the first resurrection rather than the second. The first resurrection is the better resurrection, the Bible says. The first resurrection on such that death has no power. If we enter in the first resurrection, we have made it. Amen. We have crossed the finish line. We have won the race. We have won the fight. And death cannot touch us. So why wouldn't you want to make it in the first resurrection? Amen. Let's keep reading here. In verse 27, by a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. This is a terrifying expectation. We can expect to be thrown into the lake of fire if we do not repent. It is a fury of fire that will consume. And the word consume means to annihilate. It doesn't mean to torment forever and ever, but to annihilate, to consume, to consume away into smoke and be no more, Psalm 37. Verse 28, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without, without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses, how much more severe, how much severer punishment do you think that he would deserve 
who has trampled underfoot the son of Theos and has regarded as unclean the blood of the communion, the blood of the covenant, by which he was sanctified, by which you are sanctified, and has insulted the spirit of grace. How do you insult the spirit of grace? By thinking that you can continue to sin and still be saved. It is the doctrine of hyper-grace. The doctrine of once saved, always saved. The doctrine that says you don't have to obey God. The commandments are over with. The seventh day is no longer a requirement. That's how you insult God. That's how you insult the spirit of grace. That's how you insult the scriptures, God, the spirit of grace, Jesus himself, and you trample him under foot. Amen. Hyper grace. You don't have to obey God. Hyper grace. It is an insult against God himself. Verse 30, for we know him who said, vintage is mine. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. The Lord will judge his people. That means that even if you are saved, even if you had gotten saved, even if you were the people of God, the true people of God, the true people of Jesus, you are still at danger of being judged by the lake of fire. And the Lord will repay you. And judgment starts first in the house of God. So we should not be so arrogant as to think that because we got saved and because we accepted knowledge, knowledge of the commandments, knowledge of the seventh day, that that's enough. It's not enough to just be a hearer of the word of God, but we must be a doer. It's not enough. The Pharisees knew the letter of the law. The Pharisees and Sadducees knew the Bible of what it said, that they did not follow through. They were hypocrites. Amen. They were hypocrites. So it's not enough to come to the knowledge of the truth, and it's not enough to just keep all the commandments either. You have to be sanctified. You have to be sanctified. You have to become clean. It's possible that you keep all the commandments with head knowledge and still not be clean. Amen. It's possible that you be baptized in the name of Jesus. Keep the seventh day, keep the holy day, and still be unclean. So we have got to clean our heart, clean our mind, 
And this is, goes both ways. God does part of it, and we do part of it. Amen. That's something you have to work on in your heart and in your mind. And you do that by reading the scriptures, by praising God, by being grateful, being thankful, being a person of thanksgiving, and by not being legalistic. And by not being prejudiced. The very thing that the person I told you about in an email yesterday or the day before, that basically in different words said, I'm guilty, yes, I have sinned, but I have good excuses. It is the sin of prejudice, hatred against the Jewish people. Because that person had gotten caught up with all these conspiracy theories on the Internet saying the Jews have done this and the Jews are at fault of this and it's the Jews' fault for this and the Jews' fault for that and the Jews, the Jews run the world. Bull hockey. If the Jews ran the world, they would not be back in a corner in a little tiny piece of plot of land smaller than the size of New Jersey. Come on now, get real. If the Jews ran the world, then they would not be so persecuted by the United Nations resolution after resolution after resolution condemning Israel. Israel does not run the United Nations. Amen. And Israel does not rule the world, and Jew, the Jews do not run or rule the new world order, nor the worlds. The Muslims do. And the communists does. And the Nazis do. Look at 666. The three symbols of six. Look at isawthelightministries.com slash mark dot html. Again, that article is isawthelightministries.com slash mark dot html. The beast revealed the three symbols of 666. How the first symbol is the Nazi swat sticker. The Nazi swat sticker, a group of people against the Jews, a group of people that murder the Jews, a group of people that persecute and hate the Jews, and they are still a living spirit, a living demon upon the earth still yet to this day. The Nazism is not gone. It is a living spirit still upon this earth today, persecuting black people, persecuting the Jews, and persecuting even Americans, Canadians, and the British Commonwealth and all Israelites. Second symbol of 666 is the word Allah itself, representing the Muslims. The Muslims and the communists and the Nazis, these are people that run the United Nations. These are the people that run uh, the New World Order. These are the people that run Sharia law, which has infiltrated all governments upon the earth. And the third symbol is the communist flag of the hammer and the sickle. Communism. That is what is also dominating and conquering the world. Not the Jews. People forget that Jesus Christ 
came in the in a body of a Jewish man. Now he could have came as an American, a Roman, a black man, a Chinese, a Korean, a Russian. He could have came as any race upon the earth that he chose. But he chose to come in the body of a Jewish, in the Jewish form of a man. So if you hate the Jews, then you must also hate Jesus and many of the writers of the Holy Scriptures and me. And chances are that the two witnesses that will stand in Jerusalem Chances are, at least one of them, maybe both of them, will probably be a Jew. Most likely. But people, they get on the internet and they will believe every lie of the devil that they read, but won't believe the truth. It's insanity. They will believe September 23rd is the rapture. They believe that the Jews run the world, even though they're backed into a little corner in the Middle East, fearful for their life and survival and fighting for their survival, and the whole world is against them. How's that running the world? They'll point to, they will point to a few Jewish men who own banks or own companies, and then they say that is running the world. Running a bank is not running the world. Besides which, the Bible promised the descendants of Israel prosperity. Amen. The Bible promised the tribe of Judah the tribe of Dan, the tribe of Manasseh, Reuben, Ephraim, and all the other 12 tribes of Israel. The Bible promised, Jesus promised, God Almighty promised that his descendants prosperity and blessing. So just because somebody is rich does not mean that they are of the devil automatically. Abraham was rich. Isaac was rich. Jacob was rich. Joseph was filthy rich. Solomon was filthy rich even before he fell away from God. David was filthy rich eventually. Just because somebody is filthy rich does not mean they are of Satan automatically. Just because they own a company or just because they prosper does not mean they are a Satan automatically. Even though they get over this legalism and of being so gullible. And even though I am an internet addict, as most of us are, I am under Babylonian captivity through the internet. But even though I am an internet addict, I praise the day that shall come when we are all delivered of this electricity, of this internet, of this corruption, of the petroleum industry, which is an Islamic industry. I praise the day when people will no longer hopefully, 
hopefully that day will come that the Internet will not be available, but I think it will be, unfortunately. But at least for some people, at least for the Americans, the Internet will go down. One of these days, when that nuclear war hits the American land, and it will happen, I promise you, it will happen, that nuclear war will come to America. And when that happens and the electrical grid goes down, there goes your Internet for at least the Americans. And that will be a great day of deliverance. The day that America is invaded should be written down on the calendar and celebrated for for the rest of all of humanity. The day of America, and I am an American, and I'm a proud American. I am a patriot. I'm not a patriot, but I am a patriotic. I'm not a patriot because I don't believe in saving America because it's lost and gone. Forget the CPR. America is dead. So I'm not a patriot. But I am patriotic. I am proud to be an American, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I will not denounce my my sovereignty or my citizenship for legalistic people. Amen. But the day that America is invaded should be celebrated because, for one thing, it will be a great day of deliverance. It will be a great day of deliverance from the microwave, from the grocery store, from laziness, from Social Security, from welfare, from food stamps, from abortion, from Islam. Well, not from Islam, because Islam will conquer America. But it will be a great day of deliverance from the Internet for Americans, a great day of deliverance from electricity, from all this blue light, from cell phones, from smartphones, from Wi-Fi, from Starbucks, from McDonald's, Great day of deliverance. It should be a day of singing and dancing. You think I think I think I'm going to declare it on a national holiday. Amen. Even as Judas Maccabees, a great man of God, a believer in Jesus Christ, even before Jesus came upon the earth, Judas Maccabees was a man of God, a holy man, and he declared the holiday of Hanukkah. And it was ordained by God, and we should keep Hanukkah. The Spirit of God was upon Judas Maccabees when he declared that a national holiday. And we should keep Hanukkah and Purim. Those were ordained of God. Now let's move forward here. Let's go to the book of Isaiah. So now let's go to the Old Testament volume. Isaiah 59. Page 389. Page 389. Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59, verse 1. Now, these page numbers that I give you don't work for the online copy. 
These are only page numbers for the black and white paperback. The online copy has uh, many, many, many more pages because it's a much larger font for the online download. And we also, for the online copy of the Alpha and Omega Bible, the Alpha, I mean, the, um, the Apostica books are mixed into the Old Testament in the same arrangement that they appeared in the uh, Codex Vaticanus, uh, the oldest Bible, complete Bible, the oldest, most complete Bible that we have on the planet. But it's a different arrangement in the paperback. So Isaiah 59, verse 1, the hand of Jesus, has the hand of Jesus, has the hand of Jesus no power to save? Yes, he does have power to save. Or, or has he made his ear heavy so that he should not hear? No, it's not him. It's not his fault. Your iniquity, your iniquity, your sins, your transgression of the commandments separate between you and Theo. And because of your sins, not God's fault, but because of your sins, has he turned away his face from you so as not to have mercy upon you. So another consequence of sin, other than sickness and death and shortness of life and losing salvation, is separation from God. And people say death is separation from God. No, it's not. Death is death. Separation from God is separation from God. Death is not separation from God because when you die... Your spirit goes back to God. But it does not know anything, think anything. It has no reward. The book of Ecclesiastes chapter 9 tells us that. So this particular consequence of sin is that Jesus will not hear your prayers. And you are separated from the fields, from God. So, if you want Jesus to hear your prayers and answer your prayers with a positive yes and grant you your petitions, then you need to be living for God. God is not going to feed your petitions, grant your petitions to you if you're not living for him. So if you want God to answer your prayers for yourself, your job, your finances, your health, revelation, understanding, whatever, or prayers for your family, if you want God to to, to save, to heal, to deliver, to help your family, your friends, other people, then you need to be living for God. The only prayers, as I've said many, many times, the only prayers that God answers if you are a sinner, 
is only the prayer of repentance and help to not sin and salvation that you are surrendering truly, truly surrendering to him and you actually follow through with that and get baptized and repent and keep the commandment. But if you don't follow through with all that, then your words will only in vain and you may as well not have even said that prayer because it was only vain, empty words. Consequence of sin is God not answering your prayers for your family or for yourself. Loss of salvation, short life, sickness, death, loss of salvation. Look at chapter 1. Isaiah 1. Isaiah 1, verse 15. When you stretch forth your hands, I will turn away my eyes from you, and though you make many supplications, I will not hearken to you, for your hands are full of blood. This means you might be praying, 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 maybe even fasting and fasting and fasting, but if your hands are still guilty, if you still got blood on your hands, if you are still guilty of sin, you might as well just shut up and not pray. You might as well not even fast. You might as well not even pray. You might as well not even keep the commandments if you are already sinful in other ways and not repenting. Now, this does not mean that you need to give up But it does mean that we should not be so arrogant like so many people are. Amen. And we need to learn the fear of the Lord. As Proverbs 9 tells us, which we'll read later on here shortly. But Proverbs 9 tells us that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. We need the fear of the Lord. People don't have fear of the Lord. Even people that say that they have fear of the Lord, they don't. Because if they had fear of the Lord, then they would not so easily and so quickly and so easily disrespect their spiritual parents their spiritual pastors, the spiritual apostles and prophets that God has appointed to the church. And if we really feared the Lord, then we would be scared to death to break the Sabbath. We would be scared to death to earn a penny on the seventh day or the holy days. We would be scared to death to lie, to steal, to cheat, to deceive, or to look at pornography.
we'd be scared to death to do such a thing if we truly had fear of the Lord, which is only the beginning, only the beginning of wisdom, not the fullness thereof, but only the beginning of wisdom. The rainbow. Oh, it's such a beautiful thing. The rainbow is so beautiful. When you look at the rainbow, it should stir up fear in your mind and in your heart. The rainbow wasn't meant to just be something beautiful. The rainbow was meant to remind you that even though He destroyed the earth one time by flood over the entire earth and that he has promised not to do it in that same manner again and in that way it's mercy and grace. But at the same time, at the same time, it is a warning of judgment that shall come by fire that the whole entire earth and every physical thing upon it at that time at the great white throne judgment, at the end of the 1,100 years, that God will destroy everything upon the earth that is still physical at that time. That if you have not been turned to spirit yet, if, that if you have not yet been turned to spirit yet by the end of judgment day, that you will burn and perish and consume away in me no more. The rainbow should stir up fear in your heart if you are a sinner. If you're living a homosexual lifestyle, the rainbow should stir up fear in your heart that God is coming with judgment and he will destroy you and the entire earth with fire. It is a sign of damnation. It is a sign of judgment. It is a sign of the lake of fire. And it's a sign of the glory and majesty of God that the rainbow appears over him, over him because he is both water and fire. God is the lake of fire and he is the living waters. He is the spring of life, the spring of living waters. He is the tree of life. He is the lake of fire and the living, healing waters. So the the rainbow should represent and does represent and should remind you that there is a God on his throne and that he does judge with righteousness. Amen. Verse 15 here tells you that even if you was to raise your hands to, to God and praise him and worship him and pray and pray and pray, Your hands have got to be clean. The Bible says, lift up your hands clean. To lift up clean hands, the Bible says, to lift up clean hands. The only time you should lift up filthy hands is only on the day of salvation, only on the day that you are surrendering to him, that you lift up your hands and surrender and say, Lord, I surrender. I am yours. I give up. I give up my life 
I give up my will, my choices, my way of life. I now surrender to you. And you lay down your life that day. You crucify yourself. You let Jesus crucify you that day. You give up. You raise the white flag. You lift up your hands, and your hands are cleansed automatically that day. And then you follow through with it by putting on the engagement ring through baptism, by being dunked, emerged underwater, drowned with water, crucified with Jesus, and come out resurrected out of that water that is put in on the engagement ring. It's not enough to only say the prayer and say, yes, I do, I will marry you, but you have to put on the ring. You have to put the engagement ring on, on the day of baptism, and you are crucified and you lose the date of your first birth, and that person no longer exists, and you no longer celebrate your first carnal physical birth upon this sinful world, and you no longer have that birthday, you no longer celebrate that birthday, because that person is dead and gone and crucified, and you are a new person, a new creature with a new birthday, a new spiritual birthday, the day that you are baptized and born again of spirit from above through the Holy Ghost of Jesus Christ, and now you are no longer dead but alive in Jesus Christ, dead to sin but alive in Jesus Christ. But many of you are still dead. Many of you are still living your old life, celebrating your carnal birthday, celebrating traditions of man, and and celebrating carnality and wickedness and sin. And your hands are bloody. Let's go to the book of Hebrews again. Hebrews 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 1. Page 225. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Now let's talk about chastisements. Chastisement. A consequence of sin is that God will chase you, that God will whip you, that God will spank you, that God will correct you that God will pop your bones, pop your neck, pop your forehead, pop your ears, and and, and cause bunions on your toes. (laughs) God will chastise you. One way or another. And I give you a short testimony that many of you have heard many times before. That at one time when I kept on with a particular sin in my life at the time. But every time that I was guilty of that sin, God would chastise me and and tear my car up. Because the very, 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 very next morning after that sin, time after time, my car would not start. And if it started, it would break down on the side of the road. Time after time after time. 
And I knew it was God every time. I had someone tell me, no, God wouldn't do that. He wouldn't actually touch your car as if God is not there at all times, as, as if that was impossible, as if God cannot actually touch the wires and mechanics and the metal inside your car. If he can touch the moon, if God can make the earth, if God can form man out of the clay, then yes, he can touch the metal parts in your car. But people don't really believe in God, even if they say they believe in God. If they really believe in God, then they would so quickly, they would so quickly understand these things. If they really believe in God, they really believe in God, they would have no trouble believing that God is real enough that he could touch metal parts in your car. The people that say they believe in God, they don't believe in God, not really and not truly. But God is real. He does chastise us. He does, he does touch cars, finances, human bodies, and other things in our life. This doesn't mean that every time your car breaks down that it's God. No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that every time you get sick that it's God. No, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean that sometimes that God does touch human bodies, cars, finances, and other things in your life to chastise you, to give you a little paddle, to give you a little spanking to say, you can do better, and I expect you to do better. And many times, if you continue to ignore all that, and he keeps spanking you, and you keep sinning, and he keeps spanking you, and you keep sinning, many times, he will and does and has eventually killed people because of their sins. God has killed people because of their sins. For example, the sons of Aaron and the sons of Leah. Oh. Oh. I almost had it on my tongue. No, the priest. The priest was Samuel. Oh, Eli. Eli. The sons of Eli and the sons of Aaron. Look at both of those cases that God killed those young men because of their sins. And even the communion, how God kills people sometimes when they take the communion unworthily. Now, Hebrews 12, verse 1. Hebrews 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, talking about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, talking about all these people that had listed, Moses, Noah, all these people of faith that have lived throughout time. Now, this in no way, in no way, shape, or form means that these people are still alive. In no way, shape, or form does it mean that these people see you or hear you or know that you exist. They're not in heaven or anything. The Bible says they died. It says that. They died. They're dead. They're buried. Their bodies are rotten. Even their bones are rotten now. They are totally decayed in the earth, and they have not received their rewards. The Bible says that they have not yet received their rewards. They have not yet received their promises. 
They have not yet inherited eternal life. They are not in heaven. But the account, the records, the biblical account of their lives, what happened, the choices they made when they took a stand for God, this is a cloud of witnesses to us. And so because of this, because of all this cloud of witnesses, because of all of these testimonies, because of all of this biblical historical report, let us also, as they did, lay aside ever encompassed. And I can't pronounce it, but you know you can read it for yourself there. And the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us lay aside those sins. These sins so easily entangle us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of sin, of shedding of blood in the striving against sin. But you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. That means that we should recognize, we should recognize when God is disciplining us. We should know that it's from God, when it truly is from God. And, and, and fear the Lord when that happens. Fear the Lord when that happens. Amen. And that we should not faint when you are reproved by him. Just because God spanks you does not mean that you should fall away and give up. No. Does not mean that you need to give up. But means though, but rather it means that you should do better. Learn from your mistakes. Learn from the correction. And actually, you should be thankful and appreciative and grateful for God correcting you. You should consider God's correction as an honor. It really is. Because if God corrects you, he has taken time to pay attention to you and to speak to you. When God is correcting you, he is speaking to you. And you should be thankful, and we should be thankful when God speaks to us, even during times of chastisement and punishment. At least he's paying attention to us, and he's showing us that he cares enough to try to correct us. Because you know what? I see all these parents that don't correct their children. And the truth is, they don't care enough about their children and their children's future and what's going to happen to them 
they don't care enough about their children to correct them. And they can say, I love you all day long and hug you and hug you and kiss you and, and buy you all these presents and give you everything you want and obey your every command. But the fact is that if your parents are not disciplining you when you are a child, then they really don't really deeply and truly and sincerely love you enough to care about your fate and your future. But God does. God does. So don't treat it lightly. Don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. It's a huge thing. It is a huge thing for God to touch the metal parts of the car. It is a miracle. And it's a wonderful thing. And praise your holy name. Amen. Praise his holy name. That he cares enough, loves enough to take the time and the effort to correct us. Let us learn our lesson and not tread it lightly and just continue to sin. Because next time he might kill us. In fact, the truth is God almost did kill me one time. Probably more than once that he almost killed me. But he spared my life in hopes that I would repent. And eventually I finally did learn my lessons. And eventually I did come around and I stopped treading lightly the discipline of the Lord and I started taking it more serious. Because it is a very, 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 very serious thing. When God corrects us, we need to treat it serious and not regard it lightly. Because it will be a harder spanking the next time. And eventually, death in this life. And then eventually, death at the end of the hundred years. And then after that, there's no other chance. The door is shut forever. There is no third resurrection regardless of what some churches teach. There's no third resurrection in the Bible. Now look here at verse 8. That if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, yes, we have, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So then, it should say, so then we truly had fathers of flesh to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of souls or spirits and live? For they, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them that he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness, so that we may share his holiness. The Bible says that he said, Be holy as I am holy. Another scripture says, Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. 
And people say, I cannot be holy. People say, I can't be a saint. People say, I'm not a saint. People say, I cannot be perfect. But the truth is, all of those are excuses. Just excuses. Just excuses. For you to continue and continue and continue in sin. We got to crucify those excuses. Because God said, be holy. And God said, be perfect. Meaning, be sinless. Is what it means. Be sinless. I may have even eventually translated it, be sinless, I think. So then, now let's go over to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 11 in the Old Testament here. Deuteronomy 11. Verse 26, page 125 in the Old Testament, black and white, page 125, Deuteronomy 11, verse 26. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 11, verse 26, reading in Alpha and Omega Bible. Behold, I set before you this day the blessing and the curse. The blessing if you listen and obey to the commands of Jesus, your Theos, the Alpha and Omega, and all that I command you this day. But the curse and that word and should be but, so you can correct it there. Verse 28. But the curse, if you do not listen and obey to the commands of Jesus or Theos, the Alpha and Omega, as many as I command you this day, and you wander or fall away from the way which I have commanded you, having gone to serve other gods which you know not or knew not. So in other words, instead of keeping the seventh day, you go and keep the first day. That's falling away from God and going to a false god. That's exactly what it's talking about, as well as Christmas and Easter. Because what God commanded us in the context of Scripture is God commanded us the Sabbath day, the Passover, the days of unleavened bread, Pentecost, trumpets, atonement, the fiesta of tabernacles, even Hanukkah and Purim through his servants Esther and Judas Maccabees. He commanded these days. And yet, people have forsaken those days, the commandments of Jesus, 
and went to Sunday, Christmas, Halloween, Easter, St. Valentine's Day, and all of those pagan, demonic holidays. They have forsaken Jesus and went and followed false gods. They went and followed demons. They have brought curses upon themselves. They have brought curses upon themselves. It is not the Lord's fault. It is their own fault. It is the choice that they have made. And you may say, but they're ignorant. They don't know. They don't understand. But the truth is, somewhere in their life, at some time or another, they have heard the truth. And they rejected it. Amen. And the Bible also says that at one time he used to wink, meaning turn a blind eye, to ignorance. But now he commands all men everywhere to repent. Amen. So the Bible says here in verse 27, 26 and 27, that he sets before us before us the commandments of God as either a blessing if we obey or a curse if we disobey. So again, the subject today is consequences of sin. Consequences of not revering the holy days. We should reverence the holy days. We should fear God that if we don't keep these days or if we don't keep them properly or if we don't keep them holy, we should fear God that he might make us sick, kill us, destroy our car, anything. Anything that he so chooses. God is real and he can do these things. Look at chapter uh, 28. Deuteronomy 28. And don't think that he won't. Don't think that he won't. Amen. Deuteronomy 28. Verse 15, page 134. Chapter 28, verse 15. Let's read all of this chapter from, starting from verse 15. <coughs> but it shall come to pass, if you will not listen and obey to the voice of Jesus, your Theos, to observe all his commandments, as many as I charge you this day, then all these curses shall come on you and overtake you. Cursed shall be you in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field, meaning the country. Whether you be in the city or the country or whatever, there is no escape. God can find you. God will chase you down. Verse 17, cursed shall be your barns and your stores, your storehouses, including your grocery stores, because that is a storehouse. 
Cursed shall be your offspring of your body, even your children, your babies, your baby's health, and their lives, and the fruits of your land, and the herds of your oxen, and the flocks of your sheep. And even if you don't have a farm, this is upon your nation. This is upon your nation that the farms of America are now suffering plagues of floods and droughts and fires because of the sins of the nation. Verse 19, cursed shall be your coming in and cursed shall be your going out. Jesus sent sin upon you, want and famine, meaning that you will have need of more things because you will not be satisfied. You will have you will have want. You will have need. And famine and consumption of all things on which you shall put your hand until he shall have utterly destroyed you and until that he shall have to send you quickly because of your evil deeds, because you have forsaken me. That word quickly can also mean swiftly. Verse 21, Jesus calls the pestilence, the disease, the pestilence to cleave to you until you shall have been consumed, you off the land into which you go to inherit it. Jesus fought you with distress, with fever, with cold, with inflammation, with blighting, with paleness, and they that should pursue you until they have destroyed you. That blighting could be talked about leprosy and other skin diseases. Verse 23, and you shall have over your head a sky of brass, meaning that it won't rain, and the earth under you shall be like iron, meaning hard ground from drought. Verse 24, Jesus, your theos, the Alpha and Omega, make the range of your land dust, and dust shall come down from heaven until it shall have destroyed you, and until it shall have quickly consumed you, or swiftly consumed you. Verse 25, Jesus gives you up for slaughter before your enemies. You should go out against them one way and flee from the face seven ways, from their face seven ways, and you should be a dispersion in all the kingdoms of the earth. In other words, what happened to Israel? They were invaded and taken slaves, captives, prisoners of war to other nations, to the land of Babylon and Assyria and Iraq and Iran and so forth, and so shall it be in this day and in this time that Americans and Australians will be taken captive to the Middle East, to China, to Russia, to Syria, to Iran. It's going to happen. It's going to happen because these same blessings and these same cursings are still intact today. The commandments still exist. 
the blessings of keeping the commandments still exist, and the cursing of disobeying the commandments still exists. Now, that doesn't mean that if you keep the commandments, that every one of you will be rich. Some will and some won't. But if you keep the commandments, you might be protected. You might, you might not. But you might be protected if you keep the commandments. But one thing is for sure, if you don't keep the commandments, you're guaranteed lack of protection, lack of prosperity, and you're guaranteed curses upon you if you do not keep the commandment of God. Verse 26, your dead men shall be food to the birds of the sky, referring to the rapture, rapture birds, eating those that are taken away. Your dead men shall be food to the birds of the sky and to the beasts of the earth, and there shall be none to scare them away. Jesus smite you with the blot or the plagues of Egypt in the seat, in the capitals. And in the seat, I have to double look to see if that could be talking about anything else. But I'll write that down. Just take a look at that. And with a malignant scar, a scab, and an itch, so that you can not be healed. When he ate, Jesus might be with insanity. There are some people who have mental illness, maybe even insane, maybe even a paranoia schizophrenia, maybe even in a mental hospital, because they did not keep the commandments of God. That's not every case, but there are people. There are people in the mental hospitals, there are people with paranoia, schizophrenia, and there are people with other mental illnesses, insanity, dementia, or other things, or even Alzheimer's, or even cancer, or even HIV, because they did not keep the commandment of God. Jesus might prove insanity and blindness and astonishment of mind. And you shall grope at midday as a blind man should would group in the darkness, and you shall not prosper in your ways, and then you shall be unjustly treated and plundered continually, and there shall be no helper. Verse 30, you shall take a wife, and another man shall have her. You shall build a house, and you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, and shall not gather the grapes of it. Your calf shall be slain before you, and you shall not eat of it. Your donkey shall be violently taken away from you and shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies and you shall have no helper. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another nation taken captive and your eyes wasted away shall look for them. Your hand shall have no strength. 33, a nation which you know not shall eat the produce of your land. That's Russia and China coming into the British Commonwealth of America, and all your labors, and you shall be injured and crushed always. And you shall be distracted because of your sights of your eyes, which you shall see. You shall be distracted because of this invasion. Jesus smite you with an evil sword on your knees and on the legs that is listed 
as one of the plagues in Revelation 16 as sores upon the people who have the mark of the beast, so that you shall not be able to be healed from the sole of your foot to the crown of your head. Jesus, curry away you and your princes, your leaders, whom you have set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers know, but you should be you should serve their gods, other gods, wood and stone. You will be taken and be held captive, a prisoner of war, because you did not keep the commandment of Jesus. 37, and you should be there for a wonder and a parable and a tale among all the nations, to which Jesus, your Theos, should carry you away. You shall carry forth much feed into the field, and you shall bring in little, because the locusts shall devour it. You should plant a vineyard and dress it, take care of it, and should not drink the wine because it won't be any good. Neither shall you delight yourself with it because the worm shall devour it. You shall have olive trees in all of your borders, and you shall not anoint you with oil because the olive shall utterly cast its fruit. It won't be any good. You shall begat sons and daughters, and they shall not be yours for they should depart into captivity. All your trees and the fruit of your land shall, uh, shall blight or fungus consume. So, 41, the word thine, I need to correct and cut your, and 42, blight, it'd be fungus, or disease. And you can correct these as I go along as well, if you want to. Verse 41, dying, I think you know that means year, so you can keep it as it is, or you can mark it out and cut year. And 42, the word blight, you can keep it as it is, or you can change it to fungus or disease. means the same thing. Verse 43, the stranger that is within you, within your gate, you shall get up very high and you shall come down very low. You know what that means? Is that he, God is going to lift up these refugees, these people that have invaded the land, the people that have infiltrated, infiltrated the land, the sleeper cells, the enemies within the gate, these people shall become your masters, your rulers, your leaders, the slave master, the one with the whip. These are the people that shall be exalted in the land and yet the original inhabitants of the land and the Israelites shall be brought down and whipped and conquered because we did not keep the commandment. Verse 44, he shall lend to you and you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head and you shall be the tail. Meaning he's going to exalt the Islamic Sharia law banking upon all the earth and cast down the American banking system. 
Sharia law will conquer the world. Because at least under Sharia law, abortion is illegal. Homosexuality is illegal. At least under Sharia law, a lot of the graven images are illegal, but they're hypocrites, just like the Pharisees were. They have their graven images. They commit homosexuality. So they're hypocrites, but at least their law is more just than the law of the land right now. So he will bring in the wicked hypocrites of the Muslims, the communists, and the Nazi armies to conquer America because of the sins of America. And it says in 45, and all these curses shall come upon you and shall pursue you and shall overtake you until he shall have consumed you and until he shall have destroyed you because you did not listen and obey to the voice of Jesus your Theos, the Alpha and Omega, to keep his commands and his ordinances which he has commanded you. And these things shall be signs in you and wonders among your seed, your children, forever. Because you did not serve Jesus your Theos with gladness and a good heart, and you did not serve him because of the abundance of all things. And you shall serve your enemies, because Jesus will send forth against you in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in the want of all things. And you shall wear upon your neck a yoke of iron until he shall have destroyed you. Jesus will bring upon you a nation, the Russians, the Chinese, the Iranians, the Syrians, from the extremity of the earth, like the swift flying of an eagle, a nation whose voice you do not understand. A nation bold in countenance, which should not respect the person of the aged, and should not pity the young. And it shall eat up the younger of your cattle, and the fruits of your land, so as not to leave you grain, or wine, or oil, or the herd, herds of your oxen, and the flocks of your sheep, until it has to destroy you, and have utterly crushed you in your cities, until the high and strong walls be destroyed, in which you trust in all your land, and it shall afflict you in the cities which he has given to you. And you shall eat the fruit of your body, the flesh of your sons and your daughters. Yes, there shall be cannibalism in America. There will be cannibalism in America, in Australia, in Canada, in South Africa, in Nigeria, across the world, because the fruit trees will not prosper. Your cattle will not prosper. Your olive trees will not prosper. It will not rain. It will be drought. It will be invasion. It will be nuclear war. It will be disease and fungus and flight upon your vegetables and plants. But there will be a land of Goshen, and there will be protection for some of God's people, and prosperity of fruit and cattle and fish and possum and catfish and pork for the people of God that accepts that Jesus did have and does have the power to cleanse 
all animals, as even as he spoke unto Moses when that rainbow appeared. Not Moses, but Noah. When the rainbow appeared, Noah, every living thing, everything that creeps upon the land, everything that moves shall be food for you, including pork, catfish, shrimp, possum, squirrel. If you believe that Jesus is real, if you believe that God is real, then he is powerful enough to have cleansed those animals through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. But yes, there will be cannibalism in verse 53. All that he has gave in you and your straightness and in your affliction with which your enemy shall afflict you. Verse 54. He that is tender and very delicate within you shall look from an evil eye upon his brother and the wife in his bosom and the children that are left which may have been left to him. So as not to give to one of them the flesh of his children whom he shall eat, because of his, his having nothing left him and your straightness and in your affliction with which your enemies shall afflict you in all your receive. And again, cannibalism in the land. Of how hungry people are going to be, how desperate and how wicked people are going to be. When there's no more cigarettes, no more plot, no more food stamps, no more Social Security, no more grocery store, no more Walmart. People will eat their own families. There will be the time of greatest tribulation that has ever existed upon the entire earth in all of human history. Worse than the Holocaust. Worse than World War II in Germany and what happened to the Jews at that time. Worse than that. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. We should be scared of death to sin. Amen. Am I a preacher of fear today? Absolutely. You should be scared of death. Sin against the Lord. I should too. In verse 56, and she that is tender and delicate among you, whose foot is not a seed to go upon the earth for delicacy and tenderness, saying that a woman, of course, not all women like this, I'm just saying, or the Bible is actually saying, that if a woman is so delicate that she doesn't even want to step foot down, talking like queens, very, very, very rich, spoiled women that don't even want to get their foot dirty. It says that they should look with an evil eye on her husband in her bosom and her son and her daughter and her offspring that comes out between her feet and the child which she shall bear, but she shall eat them. A woman eating her own baby, her own husband. This is how wicked people will be because of the want of all things secretly in your straightness and your affliction with which your enemies shall afflict you in your cities. 58. If you will not listen and obey to all the words of this law, which has been written in this book, to fear this glorious and wonderful name of Jesus, your theos. 
people don't fear it. And that is why there will be cannibalism in the land. If you don't think this applies to our day and our time, then you will see. You will see what will come upon this land of sin and wickedness. Verse 59, And Jesus shall magnify your plague and the plagues of your seed, great and wonderful plagues and evil and abiding diseases. And he shall bring upon you all the evil pain of Egypt, of which you was afraid, and they shall cleave to you. These diseases, these plagues shall cleave to you. And Jesus will bring upon you every sickness and every plague that is not written. And everyone that is written in the law of the uh, and every one that is written in the book of this law until he shall have destroyed you. So see, it don't have to be written in the Bible for it to happen. People get so caught up in legalism, so caught up in the letter of the law, that if you share something that God gave you that Jesus revealed to us. People, people are always constantly, where does it say it? Where does it say it? Where does it say it? It don't have to be written for God to say it now. Amen. God told the Apostle Paul many, 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 many things that had not been written yet until Paul wrote it. The same thing can happen today. So there's going to be plagues that's not even written that will happen upon the people. Verse 62, And you shall be left few in number, whereas you were as the stars of the sky in multitude, because you did not listen and obey to the voice of Jesus, your Theo, the Alpha and Omega. 63, And it shall come to pass that as Jesus rejoiced over you to do good and to multiply you, so will Jesus rejoice over you to destroy you and you should be quickly removed from the land into which you go to inherit. And Jesus, your Theos, Alpha, and Omega, shall scatter you among all nations, from one end of the earth to the other. And you shall go there to serve other gods with stone, which you have not known, nor your fathers. Moreover, among those nations, he will not give you quiet. Neither by any means shall the soul of your foot have rest. And Jesus shall give you there another and a misgiven heart and felling eyes and a wasting soul, sickness and death. And your life shall be in suspense before your eyes, and you shall be afraid by day and by night, and you shall have no assurance of your life. 67, in the morning you shall, you shall say, would it, would it that it was evening? And in the evening you shall say, would it that it was morning? For the fear of your heart, with which that you shall fear, for the sight of your eyes, so shall you see. And Jesus shall bring you back to Egypt in ships by the way of which I said. You shall not see it again, and you shall be so there to your enemies for bondsmen and bondwomen, and none shall buy you. So this just basically means that people are going to be taken captive to foreign lands, even in our day and in our time, even as it's written in Jeremiah, Ezekiel, 
Daniel, and other places in the Bible, not just here alone. Yes, we should fear the Lord. Stop making excuses and realize what a severe punishment that we could be facing if we don't learn our lessons soon enough. Let's go to one last passage, Proverbs 9. Proverbs chapter 9. Verse 10, page 348. Proverbs 9, verse 10, page 348. Proverbs 9, verse 10, the fear of Jesus is the beginning, the beginning, a start, a starting place. People have no fear of Jesus because they've been taught that Jesus is a wimp. They've been taught that Jesus is all about mercy, grace, and forgiveness, and prosperity, and blessing, but not cursing, and not judgment. But the truth is, there's only one God, only one, and his name is Jesus. Acts 4, verse 10, says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. There's only one Savior. Even the book of Isaiah tells us this, that there's one Savior. One Lord, one King, one God, one Theos. And that he will not share his glory with any other and that there is none other beside of him. Read the Bible, people. Read the Bible. And it says here that the fear of Jesus is the beginning of wisdom and the counsel of saints is understanding. For to know the law is the character of a sound mind. For in this way you shall live long, and years of life shall be added to you. There's that old saying that the good die young. But I think the truth is opposite. That the good that the righteous will have years added upon them and live a long life, and that the wicked die young. I think that's more true than that old saying. So as we approach this Day of Atonement a week from today, and especially on that day, of atonement and on that fasting starting from sunset Friday until sunset the seventh day and even the days leading up to that, let us examine ourselves. Not give up, not get discouraged, 
not fall away, not stop trying. But let us examine ourselves and judge ourselves what we need to change about our lives, our thinking, our words, our actions, our outlook. Stop using excuses. Stop making excuses. And own up to your guilt. Confess your sins to God and to yourself. Repent. And live for God. Knowing that he is real and alive. Sees everything you do. Knows your every thought. Knows your every action. And yes, he is a God of love, mercy, and grace. But he is also a God of commandments. Requiring us and expecting us to love him enough. To honor him enough. To reverence him enough. To keep his simple commandments. Simple. Simple commandments. It's not that hard, not that difficult to keep the seventh day in the holy days or to not murder or to not steal or to not bear false witness or to not have graven images or to not have false gods or to not keep the pagan holidays. These are not really difficult things, but we make them difficult because we make excuses. Well, that person would say this, that person would do this, this person will react such and such a way. It doesn't matter. The simple fact is we have to make a choice, life or death. It's that simple. Choose you this day who you will serve, God or the devil, righteousness or sin. It's that simple. You just have to make up your mind. And once you make up your mind, Stick to it. Don't fall back. Stand your ground for Jesus on the right side as a true follower of Jesus Christ. Make up your mind. Surrender to God. Surrender to God. Because I know that when I made that decision, I was sick and tired of sin. I was sick and tired of misery, of being the walking dead, of being a zombie. I was sick and tired of the consequences of sin. I was sick and tired of that way of death style. I was sick and tired of it. And I hope that many of you are sick and tired of compromise and excuses and misery. And just surrender to the almighty God of wisdom, of justice, of true love, of true doctrine, and come to know that his way is right. And that he does know what he's talking about. And his commandments are just and true and righteous. And it's not that hard to obey him. You just have to make up your mind to obey him. And regardless of the laughter and the mocking and the persecution and the martyrdom and the, all these things, that you're going to live for the living God. You're going to be his. That you're going to be there at that marriage supper. 
of the Lamb of God. Let no man steal your crown. Hold fast to your crown. Let no man take it away from you. Because it is possible. So let no man steal your crown. Thank you for listening to this Seventh-day Sermon of Isolite Ministries. And I hope to see you next week, same time, for the Day of Atonement services. Please check out the newsletter today about Hurricane Joseph and Hurricane Mary, both out there in the waters right now, and Hurricane Lee, representing uh, the false Christ, the Antichrist, the Senate tradition, and the birth of the Great Tribulation. Please check out the newsletter at proveallthings.webby.com or go to isawthelightministries.com and vote for the link for the newsletter at isawthelightministries.com. We're here every seventh day at 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time Zone. And if you would like to listen to the same broadcast again or listen to last week, or the week before, or the week before, you can look in the archives. All of the broadcasts are saved in the archives, and so that you can listen to previous weeks or this sermon again. Feel free to burn them down onto CD, share them with your family and friends on CD, or send the links to each individual sermon or to the entire page of the sermon archives to your family and friends. Uh, we appreciate the work of AJ in Korea that he is distributing 1,000 flyers concerning the identity of the son of perdition. We also thank AJ for his continual blogs revealing the word of God to the Korean people. We also appreciate the hard work of Lisa in New York State and the hard work of Sister Kiki in Australia. We also appreciate our sister, uh, Sister Harris that's going to be with us for the Feast of Tabernacles. And we're looking forward to that very, very, very soon, the Fiesta of Tabernacles. I hope that everybody will have a very good Fiesta of Tabernacles, wherever that you may be. And we also appreciate Brittany singing two songs for us in our service that we had the other day for the Fiesta of Trumpets. So this concludes this matter, all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.